0: Welcome to Read the Room. I'm with my dear friend Mike Wardrop and my new friend James Norrie, our wow. intrepid producer and token millennial. Post millennial, I should say. He's almost 26 and has opinions for days. James, how are you today? I'm really okay, thank you. James recently got married. I did, yeah. And he had barramundi at his wedding. Yeah, I did. Which I think is a weird flex. It but was okay. delicious. It was
1: fantastic.
0: That's great. Well, enough about you, James, but we are very grateful for you. Hey, um, today we are talking to one of my dear friends in ministry. His name is Michael Hands, and he is the newly minted lead minister of New Life on the Gold Coast, which is a group of churches across Brisbane, and they've got a campus in Coolingatta, and a big mothership on the gold coast
1: Rabina, yeah,
0: in Rabina, which i just can't disassociate from juice when i Ribena, was yeah
1: i'm with you Rabina, yeah. ribina ribina right, right, i'm with you yeah it's weird you know we You're are from we are
0: from the <laughs> what i like to call the elegant south here in adelaide yes and all you eastern states the with all the oh i could never live in adelaide oh just it's like a big country
1: town. Oh, i can't or, say dance I oh, say dance and skill. We're really alienating a lot of the country right now. I just now. feel Sorry. like, like, nah, you pay twenty five bucks most, an hour for parking. <laughs> yeah, we love you guys.
0: <laughs> we love the eastern states, but Please we don't come
1: support our tourism. <laughs> <laughs> we have great wine country. We really do, though. We also weren't settled by convicts. We have quiet suburbs. Do you like the <laughs> East, really every time suburbs. a South Australian says that, the eastern
0: states are like, you guys suck. <laughs>
1: you <laughs> weren't like, settled by convicts because no one wanted to go there.
0: Ugh. And it's just like, we are the reason they hate us.
1: Lutherans. We the are rinse. the 1% in South Australia. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking as a population percentage here, of course. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. But we really feel the weight of that 1%. We do. Anyway, <laughs> every time I go to the Gold Coast, I'm like, how do you guys exist in this place? There's like water dragons and humidity, and I yes. just feel like I'm dying. I had to preach a youth camp on the Sunshine Coast in January with no air conditioning. I was like, kids are getting That's saved, unethical. but I swear this is a sick joke and I'm actually in hell.
1: <laughs> well, I almost lived in Brisbane. Like, We were really close just before we launched Encounter. Before you
0: saw Sense.
1: Before we saw Sense. Well, it was really st- Thinking hot, so we went up there for a um, job uh, interview. Uh, we were sort of on the final interview steps in a, in a South, uh, I don't know, I guess in Brisbane. Let's just say a Brisbane Church, and um, it you know it was it was all going pretty well, except for the fact that my wife was sick as a. Dog, And so we were gathered meeting the elders of this church who were kind of grilling us on who we were as people and our theology and understanding. And my wife just politely said, i just got to pop to the bathroom. And then she went in there, closed every door between the elders and the bathroom, locked it, vomited her guts up, and then lay down in the cool tiles, just shaking until <laughs> the conversation was over. And then she came out looking like a champ because... My wife is just the ultimate trooper. Jenny Wardrop shouts to you. You are the general, the real MVP. Seriously. And uh, if you're ultimately ever going we didn't take war? that job purely because of humidity. <laughs> <laughs> Not true.
0: If you're ever going into battle a war of any kind um, – Take Jenny Wardrop with Take you. Take the general. Would recommend. She gets great Yelp reviews.
1: She does. She does. But Mikey is a, a brand new lead pastor and he's transitioned from being a campus pastor. He was the youth pastor. He was an associate and associate and sort of campus at the same time. And then back taking over the mothership
0: on mm. the Gold
1: Coast. And so we talk a lot about that. What it's like to lead such a large church at a young age. And, and he's a baby.
0: He's a baby. I think he's like 32 or something now.
1: He's a un and a young, uh, he's married to Sarah. Leader.
0: They have a beautiful young son named Archer, who's yes. about 18 months old now. Yes. And um, and they're going great guns. But honestly, Mike is one of those people who's totally unassuming and he is completely humble and always yeah. talks himself down. But the guy is one of the most phenomenal Bible communicators I've ever listened to. Yes. He's the real deal. Yes. And um, we are so excited to present this conversation with Mike Hands to you. Well, we are joined today by the very right reverend grand wizard, newly minted grand wizard overlord of New Life Church in Queensland. They have many churches in many locations. Actually, they've got three, which is great, but I'm sure there are plenty more on the horizon. And Mike is this fresh faced little infant, amazing, the most capacity you've ever met in a 30 year old, 31. How old are you now? 31 and a 31 and a half. half.
2: So you're 31. You're 31. Your, your 30 yeah, you're you you eight years old and that half meant everything in the world.
1: It's mm. like, I'm, yeah. half, mm. I'm halfway through. Yeah. Mike's
0: there. now
1: 39. How and do you half.
0: I'm 31 and a half. Interesting. And I'll never be a day older.
1: Debatable.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, Mike has recently uh, stepped into and received a call and responded to a call to become the new lead minister of the New Life Group of Churches. So good. And it's incredible. Mike has long been one of our favorite people in the universe. We have admired him from afar and now we can admire him via Zoom, which is incredibly special. How
1: was from lockdown?
0: Yes, so Mike was the associate pastor and also the location pastor of their new Brisbane plant, which is only a couple of years old, so that's your baby. Not even, right? And you're abandoning your baby to go and... Pastor Mega Church, you
2: heart. That's exactly how I would phrase it too. Yeah, that would be well, the wording I would use.
0: Put that on socials. <laughs> it's going to go down a treat. <laughs>
1: and how do you feel about that, bro? Just, I mean, not not about the abandoning, but, you know, as a fellow church planner, that, that'd be hard.
2: Yeah, no, it's really rough. It's um, number one, thanks for having me today, guys. I'm likewise deeply affectionate of you both. I think we've all walked a journey together for a long time, so it's stoked to be here and just chat through ministry and life. But... Yeah, it was part of the decision. I'm in a really good place with it now, but when we when we were processing it, it was one of the heartbreaks. Heartbreaks of it all, you know. For the last five years, I've been associate pastor, and for the last four, three, four years, been associate pastor of youth. Know, and in some way, have kind of been preparing for a sense that Stu might leave, but really didn't feel a sense of of a call to it, mm-hmm. or that was the next step. We really were excited about the Brisbane Church plan. And so when we sensed that God was kind of saying, hey, this might be something you guys should apply for, and we discerned that with our mentors. Yeah, man, we, we cried a lot. Um, we, we, it was deep mourning for us because we fell in love with the city. Mike, you would know this. When you plant a church... You don't just fall in love with your church. You fall in love with the place it's planted. Like you know the streets, you know the people, you know the culture. Um, you sell out. Like you, you die for that place. Yeah, and, and so it's a little different. When I left the Gold Coast, I left a team ministry that was like established, you know, a so, you know, couple of dozen people and staff. When I'm leaving Brisbane, you're leaving, you're leaving an infant and you're leaving something that uh, you have carried and birthed. Um, with the Holy Spirit for such a time. So it's not been easy. Um, however, Sarah and I are really convinced, uh, when we're just praying about it, that the next thing for New York Brisbane, that the next pastor that we're looking for at the moment, as, uh, as, hard as it is to acknowledge, is we actually believe it's going to be better and it's going to be, uh, the right. And that was a big piece the Holy Spirit gave us is that whoever God's now, as God called me into this, He knew who God's going to call into that. Um, and so letting it go is to recognize I may not be the best person. For this next season, yeah, um, and that's humbling in and of itself.
0: Do you wonder if you hadn't done the Brisbane plant that you would have been ready to? Can you just put that coffee cup up again, you Christian person? No,
2: the story behind this, we I have to punch you there. in the
0: face for drinking out this of this is, our favorite oh, cup. this
2: is our favourite coffee cup. This our favourite coffee cup at New Life, and the only reason's got nothing to do with the words; it's got everything to do with the capacity. It's the biggest coffee cup we have, so we all find. What's over your preferred it. capacity? We call it the Jesus cup.
0: It's incredible. Um, James bigger possibly. capacity
2: doesn't mean better coffee, just FYI. No, it doesn't. I'm actually not drinking coffee at the moment. This is tea. See, uh,
0: I just bought a series of 450ml coffee cups because I want a big cup of tea, and I feel that deeply.
2: Mm. So I'm really glad. That's we're just, we're
0: all about the big issues here at Read the Room. Can I Can, just,
2: I, can, I, can I dig in? I've been off coffee for a month, just so if you, you know, don't dig into that, but it's, big, uh, it's a big day. Are you
0: fasting <laughs> or are you just trying to de yourself?
1: I'm living healthy. That's what I'm doing. Really? Coffee's good for you. Antioxidants. Sure. Don't ask me any more than that. I haven't thought about it. Sorry, just to get
0: back to that question was, Mike, do you feel like if you hadn't, you and Sarah hadn't gone to Brisbane that you would have not been in that place to receive the call to come back just a couple of short years later? Because I remember when you were just starting the Brisbane thing and you were having your interest meetings and you were like, yikes, this is huge, but we just know it's for us. This has to be us to sort of step away from sort of the mothership for a bit. Mm. Yeah. Or were you a bit like, God, what actually is going on here?
2: Yeah, I know. Uh, like when we left Brisbane, we, we were, when we left the Gold Coast for Brisbane, um, we were fully intending that this was going to be five to ten years at, at minimum. And we said that to God. We were just like, like we're here. Like we, we had no heart to come back to the Gold Coast. Um and one of the clarities God gave us is that we said God five years. God didn't tell us five years. And that was a really good distinction for us in that
0: moment. Yeah, but um, well, God know, am I
2: right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, you know, you're um, not yeah. my real dad. <laughs> I, I think. I think when you, because I I started at New Life as the youth pastor when I was 23 years old, and then I was youth and kids pastor, then I was generations pastor, then I was associate pastor, then I was New Life. So, so like I was a son of the church, right? Like I was just brought through. Yeah. And I don't think it would have been helpful for me or the church to have stepped into this role, having not left and started something that had grown to some form of maturity, um, because it would just it would have just felt like. He's just he's just done the next thing. Like spiritual. Um, so anyways, yeah, but then I think the more important thing for me is is what church planting teaches you. I think everyone should church plant at some point because um, I've never known how weak my prayer life is until I've church planted. Yeah. I've never known how weak my theology is until I've church planted. Yeah. I've never known how um, unable I am to pastor and my, my lack of a shepherd's heart until I church planted, um, when you lead in team ministry, it becomes so easy to make up for each other's gaps. When you church plant, the first week you've got no one there that can make up for your weaknesses. You are the pastor. And so it's like if I don't shepherd, if I don't hospital visit, if I don't ring, if I don't, you know, post on social media, no one's going to do this stuff. Social media one's a weird one to in amongst the others, but, but it's real. And, and so I think what I've learned over the last couple of years is probably regain the heart of what it actually means to be a pastor again. So now I'm sitting back into like, you know, the Australian version of some form of a mega church kind of a deal. Um, you don't step back in thinking I'm a leader, I'm an executive. You're like, I actually first and foremost, I'm a pastor and I can't lose that identity. I wouldn't have learned that if I hadn't if I haven't gone church planting and, and what it meant for Christ to be my pastor in that because when you're church planting, Mike, you would know this. I mean, I'm not saying Katie you don't. You probably know it as well. I don't know this. You, you, don't, you don't, don't have a th- lot of you don't have a lot of people around you. Yeah, yeah. and so if you're, if you're if you're if you're if you're upline with God or with Christ as an intimate and grounded, uh, you don't have a lot of people pastoring you. Yeah, um, so you have got to get that right. Yeah, 100%. and you get it wrong all the time. Ooh. <laughs>
0: Yeah, one thing I'm interested in is that because you were, like you said, a son of the church and you were clearly Stu's beloved, um, you are Stu's beloved, Stu Cameron, um, outgoing, um, look, he's only human, um, but – I suppose I'm interested in asking the expectations question because, um, you know, you talk to anyone about Mike Hans and they'll talk about your capacity, your preaching gift, your ability to, you know, chisel jaw, chisel all of the things. Um, but, you, you know, how do you feel the weight of those expectations coming back into new life? Do you feel uh, coming back in, I suppose, to this new role? Do you feel the pressure of that? Do you feel... Because when we we first talked about it when you res- took the job, you said how you just feel too young, completely under equipped, and I'm just like <laughs> <going>, lol. Yeah, <laughs> we're all gonna die if that's what my kids yeah, yeah, are saying. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We are the virus, you know. So like, I don't know. Talk to me about that.
2: A lot has to do between the difference. Well, I mean, let me answer it. And so an interesting thing is you go through this process called a JNC when you get this kind of a job, and I would, you know, we did ten hours of interviews to to. To work out if this was for me or not and i'd answer a question and then they would go that wasn't what we were looking for let's ask the question in a different way like, oh great so if i don't answer it just ask them in a different way i'm used to that kind of feedback but um a lot of it's about self uh, self-assessment and public perception and one of them is really important the other one you need to forget really fast and and um i think for me i've had to be really clear about what's an accurate understanding of what I can do. The interesting thing, when you have the gift of communication or the gift of being able to preach, you can fool people a lot around what your capacity is because you know how to talk. And and that's a dangerous thing because a lot of people think that pastoring is 95% platform. And, And it is. Like there's so much important about being able to handle the word well, being able to preach well, being able to listen to the Holy Spirit. But then recognizing the other part of it's actually way more than 5% it's, 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 it's vast and it's extensive. Um, And so I think for me, I've always realized that people thought I was probably more than I was because I knew how to communicate, but I've always really felt like, um, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not all that really. And, and so I think the first thing I had to give myself permission to do was to actually come in and just not have answers because um, people, I think, expect you to come in and, and think, oh, I've got it all together, I'm gung-ho. So there's one thing where you've got to like, not be okay with not having the answers, but then the other thing I've learned is that in the first couple of weeks, I'm week three, right, I'd say, look, I know I'm young or I know I don't have experience, but, and someone pulled me up and said, stop saying that. Stop saying you're young. Stop saying you don't have experience. Yeah. You've got the job. You can't keep making excuses anymore. Um, you you've just got to like you either have a thought on it or you don't. You've either got to lead or you won't. Don't don't hide behind people thinking you're too young because now you have the job, that's their problem, not yours. And and so I think there's almost this permission I gave myself early on to just kind of be like, I actually have no idea what I'm doing. But I don't think I should. And and I'm not here for a six month short spurt. I'm hoping this would be like five, ten years, if God willing. So if I'm if I'm not killing it right now. The only direction I can go is up. Um, the only direction I can go is kind of go, okay, well, I'm just going to get, I'm going to learn. So I think, I think God led me on a journey over the last seven months of just actually really recognizing how little I know about much, anything really. And then the other thing that was humbling, because so I've always been like, oh, but at least I can preach. God's brought some really great preachers to our church who now I'm like, well, now I'm no longer the best preacher. <laughs> so it's just, it's just an interesting season where people might have these expectations, but I think you've just got to be real and realise that I, I'm going to disappoint a lot of people in the early days. Yeah. Um, but if I spend my time trying to live up to the expectations, I'm actually going to be more disappointing in the long run. Um, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense or if that answers mm. your question at all, Katie. Yeah. I think a lot about Joshua and Moses, actually, even though we were laughing about Joshua 1.8, like the expectation that must have been on Joshua. Like you think about all that Moses yeah. did, like hits, hits rocks and water comes out, like leads people through the Red Sea. They And Joshua, and you compare them, completely different leader to Moses, completely different season. And so the first thing I had to do was really give myself permission to not be stupid. Um, and that I actually don't know who I am as lead minister yet. I don't know who God's calling me to be yet. Um, so just allowing yourself that space to work that stuff out, whilst also getting caught up in that hectic day to day of everything that is ministry um, as well. So yeah,
1: That's so good, man, and and so so good to hear like the vulnerability of that heart, and especially because you know it would be it would be convenient to say that two years from now, and go hey, when I started, I had to give myself, anything. but to say that now as you're starting, just, just thanks for that, thanks for being there. I, I wanted to ask something about call. Because, you know, we've already talked about the pain of leaving your baby in effect, leaving the church plant to come back to the mothership. Mm. And the, one of the problems I see across the church is we often can have a tendency, um, and I guess I see this a little more in America than in Australia, and half the point of this podcast is to have something that is from Australia, for Australia, within our context, but is the idea that we tend to be called to the next big thing. And how do I, like I know that's not your heart. But I'm curious to know how you discerned that to kind of fight that mentality of I'm moving on to what's bigger and better.
2: It's so interesting that once you sit in the seat, you how you realise how much not bigger and better it is.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Like just the perception <laughs> um external. No,
2: no, hundred percent. And, I, and I, I mean, that's that's a lot of the stuff that people have asked me about. Um, yeah, you know, I think there might be an expectation that people. Everyone's been warmly, warmly affirming. Um, right. You know, that's not that's not true. Like, not not everyone would look at me and go, "Yeah, you should be doing this role." And and people let you know that in really healthy ways and some really destructive ways. Um, and so the first thing is is these thoughts they're not foreign. You, you hear them because there's now no buffer between me and 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 people's opinions of our church and and, and our leadership and that kind of thing. The bigger and better thing, I think, I I, I think you. You just can't play that game. Like I had to realize that my role was not to govern or be people's thought police. And so if people see me going, he's just wanting a bigger promotion, they either don't know me very well. It probably is true and God's going to reckon me and call me to repentance around that at some stage, or, you know, uh, they're actually not really invested in our church or the heart of who we are or what we're, or what we're doing. Yeah. And, and and I think the best thing, the best defense you have is integrity over time. Mm-hmm. And so right now, maybe maybe it is there's a part of me. I mean, you've always got mixed motivations. Maybe there is a part of you that is attracted to something that's bigger and better, but the only justification around why this is more of a call than anything will be what happens over the next five years and what God does over time, you know, persevering, going to long distance, and I think the call for me was uh, how much we actually ran from this. And the only thing I say about this is, this is you can say all the right things on a podcast, you can say all the right things on a vlog, and be like, oh, that's lovely. And the beauty of it is only God will ever know. And only God will ever know the reality of, of how much Sarah and I ran. Um, but everyone else only saw what was on Instagram, or what was said at a congregational meeting. And so I... Uh, Think for Sarah and I, this was probably one of the hardest decisions we've had to make in a long time. And part of my fear was I've seen I've seen mega church pastors crash and burn left, right, and center. Now I'm not saying you ask a mega church, please. If, if you're sitting there and someone's gonna be like, oh, they think they're pretty great. A, a big church, whatever you want to help, whatever the scripture you put in front of us. Um and this was the last thing I wanted. Because there is, the weight is crushing. It's significant. It's big. And I can't do it without my family and I can't do it without God. But ministry works against those two things more than it works with them. Um, and so for Sarah and I, we, we, there were long car drives. There were long conversations. And I think the only reason why we're doing it is because we've never heard the voice of God so clearly. Um, there was a day when, when Sarah and I, we were offered the position, uh, while well, I was offered the position, and, and we were just driving to Brisbane from the Gold Coast again. And I, I said, I just don't know. I just have no peace. I said, I, I can't do this. I can't go again. I've not had a job longer than two years at New Life in the last six years. Like, it's just like every time I get a hold of something, I'm, I'm doing something different. And so I just, we need to know. We need to, when Jesus said to Peter, he didn't be like, I hope you sense me saying, come. He, he clearly said, come, when, when he stepped out of the boat. So we just said, God, we need to hear the voice. We need to actually know because this is too big because this will be what will sustain us when it gets hard. And then over the next week, uh, we had we had just people come and sit with us and just say, hey, listen, we've been, we've been praying that you wouldn't get the job um, and praying that God to give it to someone else. And, and some people who didn't even know that we'd gone for it, and they're like, we just assumed you, you went for it and we've been praying against it. And then let me tell you the prophetic things that God did to change our heart and I've come to tell you that, you know, you will going to be the next lead minister. And this is before we'd even announced it or anyone even knew I was on, on offer. And it was just like just the clear voice of God saying, come, hey, this is me. Hey, I'm here. I've got this. So the, the call thing is big, but one thing my mentor Tim Hannon says, um, he, he, he says this line where he goes, your call never changes, your appointment changes. And so often we're like, well, we've got a new call. And Tim's like, no, 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 you don't have a new call. Your call's the same. Your appointment changes. Most people, even though they have 15 different jobs, are doing excuse me, very similar things over the course of their life. But it's just a different appointment. And I think it's a really helpful way to understand it. This is just a new appointment. There will be something after New Life. And it might be, you know, a church at the back of Dolby with 15 people in it. Praise God. You
0: um, Life Sudan. It's going to be great.
2: Yeah, you know, so, so I, I don't know if that answers your question, Mike, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big one. It's, it's one that you just can't keep boxing its shadows. Uh, people tell you what you want to hear. Some people will be brave enough to be honest with you, but you can't box against the things that, you, that people are saying in circles that you're not invited into.
1: That's really helpful, man, and I, I think it can be really helpful for young leaders who discern that as well because I, I think particularly the younger we are, the greater that temptation can be to jump to what's bigger as opposed to the Mm. almost running from it. So that's really helpful.
0: Yeah, totally. I'm interested in digging into a little bit when you have been such an integral member of a church and you don't actually, there is some kind of gift in coming in blind or coming in clean, where they mm. don't have history with you. They don't have past relationship with you. They don't have X, Y, and Z about you. And so, you know, when you, you, know, you fly someone in from inter- interstate or overseas to take up an appointment, there's almost like a grace that's there because they don't know what's come before. Are you finding that you're having to, kind of hold back a little bit because you're trying to navigate, you know, an honest Jew's legacy and what has been built there, but you're kind of going, mm. well, I believe God's speaking to me about X, Y, and Z direction or whatnot. How are you navigating the tension between wanting to honour the past but lean into the future?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. And when we were in the interviews, I said it would almost be better if you found someone that was fresh because they would have an objective clarity that... Um, they, they just have to be able to see things that I can't see. And probably the biggest weakness from employing within an organisation is that they're indoctrinated to the organisation, um, and that's the same with church. And you've always got to be careful of that. Like, when whenever you're appointing a new role, it's always helpful to think, could this be someone outside? Because it's going to bring something if you get the right person. Uh, I think at some stage one of the things about being in a leadership role is that you have to do hard things and you have to do hard things well, and you have to be brave enough to recognize that, that people may misunderstand your initial motive. So the way I think you're onto the past with Stu, number one, Stu was always really releasing. And when he left, he wrote me a beautiful letter, just like, he just kind of like, he said, this would be the letter like Obama handed to Trump, except we'll have a better relationship between you and, (laughs) <laughs> Between you and me, that Obama and Trump did, but like yeah, every bar high, Biden, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except Trump's probably not going to write one for Biden or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> he's not be he right. <laughs> Scrolled on the back of a napkin. <laughs> he's got <laughs> on six um, And so, Stu, and, he, and he just said, he just said, just go for it. He said, just don't hold back. I'm not going to be offended. Um, you know, don't don't be so afraid of my feelings that you don't do anything. Um,
0: Were you afraid of his feelings? Were you afraid?
2: Yeah. I mean, I love the guy and he loves me. Like we have a great relationship and I, I think you don't ever want to nullify the past, but I think the way you honour the past is to pioneer it, is to pioneer again. Because otherwise what you're saying to Stu is that you were, you were our cap, you were our lid. We could never do any better. It's so good. But by pioneering again, you're kind of saying, hey, Stu, this was the foundation. This wasn't the limit. And, and, and I think – so many ways this is a new season that we've never walked into it in your life and so people who go we've never done it that way you kind of have to say yeah exactly because we've never been here before and we have to do it again having said that walking slowly and in this season the way you honor the past is i think you've got to be careful to make decisions um top down a lot of the conversations around changes that we're having at the moment take a long time i mean number one it's week three so like there's probably like one thing that would have changed, if at all. But, I mean, we had a meeting yesterday even about the direction of next year, and it was, it's going to be a fairly significant pivot for us. So the way that we did it is that we invited um, all ministry team leaders into a room We sat down, we prayed together, we talked about what God was saying across our ministries. I I just spoke a little bit about what God was revealing to me. Uh, We checked around the room, hey, hey, is this in line with what we're sensing, what we're feeling? Um, And then I started to map out, hey, this is what I'm sensing for the new year. This is where I think we're going to head, and this is some stuff I want to try out what is what excites people here what concerns people uh, what are people wanting to be a part of and allowing that space to be like oh you know we haven't done that before or i don't know if that'll work or people go oh yeah okay this part really excites me and and nothing in that meeting was a really surprise to me but just creating a big space for people to be able to go oh this wasn't michael stepping in and going oh we're going here this was us identifying together this will be the next season. As a leader, my role was to kind of have an understanding where I think Holy Spirit might lead us, but to invite other people to go that journey with me, rather than sit in a meeting and just like, you know, have fanfare and and, and, um, and confetti, be like, here's the word for the year. How amazing is it? Let's go team. Like, it, that just would have been totally deaf. Like in five years time, that might be where we're at. But at the moment, the team needs to know we're going together um, because there's been so much transition and change there needs to be some sense of a stability and buy-in from the team as well. So I, I hope that answers the question there. Um, and, and part of pioneering honoring the past is also honoring the people who were a part of the past. And whilst they may not be here for much longer in the future, they may choose to step off team or find a new opportunity. It's by actually going, Hey guys, you know, at least right now you're in that seat. So what is your opinion? Like, what are you thinking? What, what, what clarity do you have that I may not have? Um, and then having to teach people to see me in a different light now. So think people would see me, say things to me in hallways a year ago that no longer get said to me anymore. I'd get pulled into rooms with jokes that I don't get pulled into anymore. Mm. Um, I'm no longer the guy that you, you know, that there's necessarily part of all the mucking around. There's a shift. It's, it's a slight it's one. It's just happened. But that's important as well because um, it, it's just, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not who I was. I'm in a different position now and it's reinventing all over again so it's an interesting thing i'm learning i might have it all wrong we'll find out it's
1: massive i love i love that though the way you honor the past is to pioneer again because that's that's a church planting mentality in not only the sense of a building or an organization but in the movement of the kingdom of god the way you honor that past the way you point to it. anyway Mm. pioneer again you're you're this is your interview not mine um I'll listen
2: to you and Katie all day long. You guys can talk to each other. I don't care. And you know
1: that given the chance, we will talk all day long. So let's not do that. The, the, um, what I want to ask you, man, is you spent so long over the last decade uh, working with young people, with youth and young adults. My opinion is if you can preach effectively to a 16 or 17-year-old and keep their attention, you could probably preach effectively to anybody. Um, but I'm curious, what are some of the trends you've seen in the engagement of young adults in particular but also youth in church and especially over these last couple of years as you pioneered New Life Brisbane, you're in an urban setting, you know, you're in a capital city with, with all the different uh, accoutrements that brings. How did you, no, not how, let's just talk about the what. What are some of the trends that you found creeping into the church um, that needed to be dealt with or the questions that people were asking or the wrestles that people were having in that sort of particularly that 17 to 25 demo?
2: Mm. Yeah, 17 to 25. It's such an interesting age, hey? It's like when you you question everything and your whole identity changes and you make all some of your worst mistakes. Transition Um, central, hey? Yeah, transition central. We should do a podcast about our worst mistakes between the ages of
1: 17 and 25. That's going to be all our material for the before and after parts of these podcast interviews. We can't just do that in one pod. Yeah, we need that. Oh,
2: wow. (laughs) That'd be great. I'll definitely listen to that. That'd be amazing. (laughs) I'm sure Katie Isles has stories that need to see the light of day but having said that um I mean, I think, I think it's a really interesting question. I, I, I think the loneliness factor is one of the biggest things I'm seeing across, and this isn't new. You, you look at any Barna research, I mean, the three of us were all involved in that that, um, that the panel that came and visited around all different parts of the country. and uh, talked about this stuff uh, with, with uh, the guys like Mark Sayers and Katie, I'm pretty sure you ran the thing. And we talked a lot about the idea that we're experiencing a disconnection from social and emotional connection like never before, but they've never been more digitally connected. I remember I was sitting with Mark Sayers. Um, the one time this has ever happened, I don't know Mark and Mark does not know me. We are not friends. This is not a name job. But just had a moment, just like when everyone had to turn to someone next to them and I weaseled my way next to him. And I asked him about the digital connection stuff. And I said, are you concerned that people are more digitally connected than ever, um, but loneliness and anxiety has never been higher? And yet churches seem to be making their main strategy digital connection and he he said yeah this is this is a mass issue because it's a it's a bad correlation between cause and effect um we're seeing everyone go online particularly between the age of 17 and 25 and we're chasing them it's almost like we're chasing them into the very drug dens that are causing their addictions in the first place and not asking them to leave um and and wondering why anxiety and loneliness and instability of identity is so prevalent when we actually don't teach people healthy healthy consumption and spiritual practices around digital stuff. So I think one of the biggest issues for the church heading to the future is the place of the digital ministry um, in our church life because 17 to 25s have consumed it better than anyone else has and they've been left found wanting, but the church isn't giving them a better option of formation.
0: That's it. That's the thing. If there's no compelling alternative, why would they? And I think that's the thing. And I think we spend so much time asking the wrong questions or making value judgments, interpreting rather than understanding, and we just shoot yeah. ourselves in the foot because, you know, I don't know why we're expecting a 17-year-old to have enough agency and a fully formed frontal lobe even yeah. to kind of go, this is what I need. They know how they feel, but they don't necessarily know what they
1: need. So you, you know? don't think starting Facebook is the answer to meeting the... I love
2: um, it. I love it. Of a 25 year old I hope that was a joke we wrote down and and and, and practiced. That was No, amazing. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's a real thing. But <laughs> on this, but but on this, just crazy, like I like I, I even wonder with what you were saying, um, like we when I'm the least on social media, it's when my life is the fullest. Oh. Like when I'm doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And and it's like we, we don't invite young people to do anything anymore.
0: Well, we assume you know we mean? don't want to do it. This is the thing. Yeah. Like we, we assume that they're not interested, but re- li- literally all they want now, like every day we have different young ads in our house. Like they literally just let themselves in now. And I'm yeah, like, oh, I probably should change. But also I don't want to. House? And it's like, but they just want to hang out and they just want to do things. And we love it and we laugh more and we do life together. And that's not like whatever. It's just... We can't come with these assumptions like the older people. I remember this beautiful older woman at church was like, oh, I'd love to help out with the younger people, but I don't want to push in, you know, and you've got these younger people who are going, <coughs> my nana died or I don't know. And they and so there's, we just, I think that, it, that one of the major, major, major pushes that we need to have as the church is learning how to. bridge build and not just in a token way but actually to push um and so that we're always creating those safe third spaces that alternative space where a young person doesn't just feel compelled but they feel safe to go out from behind the screen to cross that bridge and enter into you know a compelling alternative and i think that um you know yeah, that is characterized by laughter and richness and honesty and vulnerability. Like, you know, these guys see me and my husband fight over choosing a kitchen bench top and why didn't you this and why did you take money out of that account and yada yada? Um,
2: so and are you guys seeing, are you are you seeing those spaces? Like so Mike, you got a church plant, so you're gonna be filled with young ads in a church plant. And Katie, you guys probably have one of the biggest young adult ministries of most United Churches in Australia. Um, like, how are you seeing these spaces played out in your churches?
1: Well, one of the things I push against big time is is just the idea that uh, the future of the church is digital, um, just as a broad mm. principle. I mean, there's there's definitely going to be parts of it, of course, but mm. we came back from the first COVID lockdown and our numbers had almost doubled from people who just wanted to be in the room with other people. Yeah. Some of them aren't yeah. Christians. Some of them are bringing their non-Christian friends along. They're not even necessarily wanting to explore faith, but they are desperate for community. And there was enough of, of something going on, that compelling nature that Katie was mm. talking about to go, oh, there's something going on here. Like I would say it's the Holy Spirit at work. I would say it's the nature of the body of Christ in action. But mm. for, for those people they were like, I I am willing for the first time in my life to own my loneliness, to press into a, a cry for community and to step out of my comfort zone and into that, even if it's something I do I don't know, I like very much. What's it it been like for you, Hawksy?
0: Um, I'll be honest with you, I was terrible at lockdown. I did not do isolation. I was really peopled out after quarantine.
2: I remember and, you FaceTiming in the middle of that. That was bad. Yeah. You had people over
0: your house. Yeah, but like um, it just we just and you know, and it, it really annoyed some people. And I think, you know, I don't even disagree with them, like, because there was just always people <laughs> in <like>, my <laughs> house.
2: Yeah. Like, the
1: Lockdown's a loose term. So um, <laughs> I think
0: here's what I found. I found that the in COVID, the older generations became flakes. Is what I noticed. That sounds like a very sweeping judgment, but I noticed a trend toward that end. So, our regular kind of store, what people that you would always be able to rely on, were nowhere to be found. And our young ads were uh, very present, and there was a really strong culture there of connection, follow up, and community. And they were fine with the Zoom thing and this and that. So, when church came back, it was like they didn't really miss a beat. So, kind of like Mike, our, you know, particularly our evening service has grown. And it's interesting watching our morning services, you know, like the the attendance is so patchy because our regulars aren't regular anymore. Our regulars are irregular. The only thing that's regular is that new people come every Sunday
1: Mm. and
0: they come on time and our regulars struggle in in the first two songs and, you know, it's weird.
1: Yeah, likewise. Uh, Old
2: old people have always been struggling with uh, regularity though. That was a bad
1: joke. This that regard. was such a bad joke. Hey. That was such a bad joke. That was almost as bad as Facebook. Um, oh, man. Facebook's not a joke, man. I'm pretty sure that's a real thing. Ah, someone should not? definitely oh, go to the have you, know what, you know
2: what's interesting, though? You know what's interesting? I, I mean, I don't know what you guys saw in lockdown, but anecdotally, people who had spiritual disciplines established before lockdown thrived, mm. um, particularly young adults, but I would also go as far as old people like older generations, people who had rhythms of spiritual discipline, of Bible reading, of solitude, of silence, of prayer, of fasting, um, seemed to go, okay, I've got the framework to sustain this. I've got the framework to actually keep going. People who their spiritual discipline was church attendance have found it harder to come back. Yeah. Um, now, young I adults, because they're being communal, that's a bit different, but but it, yeah. it, it was interesting to take Sunday away, put it online. And everything began to crumble. It, it exposed our underbelly in so many ways.
0: Oh, how bad was online church? And we're back to it now. Yeah. But like I, I, you know, I think it was Mark Sayers who was quoting someone who was quoting someone when it said, you know, you know, only find out how good of a chess player you are when you lose your queen and you actually have to manoeuvre all yeah. the parts on the board. Yeah. And I think Sunday church is that. But I, I mean, one thing I am will be eternally grateful for in COVID was the, um Revealing nature, but the exposure yeah. that it brought to entrenched cultures and mindsets. And essentially, what I think if I I understand you correctly, Mike. Is that what it what ex- exposed was actually cultural Christianity versus discipleship, and mm. um, and you kind of have those like well, what was released in the Barna research around the kind of habitual church growers v yeah. the remnant, yeah. Yeah. and um, and then you found what we found yeah. was that the people who were the remnant was li- a little bit magnetic, and the people would be drawn to them, and so yes. you know and, and so that that was really interesting to me. But I, I've never cared less since COVID um, about what people think where they go where they want to go to church, I'm like, I'm not going to spend any time or energy convincing you of anything. Rock up to church, don't rock up to church, you know, like just wherever, whatever you do, just do it as unto the Lord. I just don't want to have this conversation anymore. Like, you know, like we had probably- You're
1: talking about habitual Christians here in particular, right?
0: I guess so. Yeah. But then you sort of had like, I don't really know what I'm saying to be honest.
1: You're not saying that if a new convert turns up and they give their life to Jesus and they're struggling, you're not going to- pastorally careful i'll be like
0: get out (laughs) i don't want you here i don't like your face i don't want your attitude
1: but for cultural christians i mean yeah no i'm talking about established
0: people have been in our church for 5 10 20 years i'm just i'm not having this conversation anymore you haven't
1: got that spiritual maturity by now you like to me you probably don't want it you probably don't want it and that's one of the things i think covid revealed to me is the actual desires Mm. of people's hearts with that
0: which was to never be alone (laughs) Ever
1: I feel unsafe yeah. Send reinforcements from Brisbane This Send is a hostile breaks. workplace
0: We are the virus um, Yeah, it's full on, man I don't know I just, I don't know where, I also have my <laughs> birthday Are
1: you just talking about Is that memory? today Or are you just
2: talking No, it's it was today. recently went to the beach house. I ran you on well, your birthday please not oh, It's not today
1: It was
0: not today I was just saying that maybe it's It maybe coincided with my birthday Now I'm just old and cranky And I, I don't know. care
1: I don't know what she's talking about um, <laughs> Mikey, as, as we sure. like, just want to be conscious um, of your time and realize that we're now talking about age and beach houses and well birthdays. And, um, you know, as, you, as you're stepping into this season, obviously this is brand new. Like we've caught you really early here and we're really grateful for your time, bro, to, to spend with us and share. What's if you could say, okay, I feel like here's one learning I've got already. Have you got something? There you go. Oh, this has hit me already.
2: Mmm. What's my one learning? Um, I think it's probably a bunch of reminders. So I'll give you two. All right. Um, Leadership's not about being liked. It's about being trusted. And they're very different things. Um, Right. uh, And and I think when you look at Jesus, his, his opinions, his leadership, the way he served, he wasn't focused on people liking him. But, but you could trust the authenticity and consistency of his character and his integrity. And um, I think it's important when you step into to leadership to recognise people may not like you, but they don't need to. They need to be able to trust you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that's, and that's big. You know, Craig Rochelle says that line. I didn't prepare that, but he says that line, more important than a leader that's right is a leader that's real. Um, and the reason is because people want to know what they're getting. I think the second... The second thing I would say is, this is early on. So this is is more from John Mark Comer's book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It plays around my head every day. Um, We're all becoming something. What is what I'm doing right now leading me to become? Mm. Because if I'm unconscious of that, if I'm not intentional about my use of my time, I'm going to become someone Christ never called me to become. And ministry is a great way of pulling your soul in the direction that it shouldn't be heading in, because we're dealing with brokenness, both ours, our people's, the world's, and and we're foolish to think that we have anything but the right answer. Um, we have anything. We, we have the right answer. So we, we don't. Um, and so, just being really conscious that probably the most intentional thing I can do every day is question: Who did I become today? Uh, what what were my decisions leading me in those meetings, in those patterns of thought? I often think about where my mind goes to um, the lot of medical mission. When I'm in my downtime, where's my mind leading me when I'm not being intentional with my thought life? This is all part of who I'm becoming, um, and to not let the busyness or the hastiness or the hustle of my world make that a secondary thought for me. Otherwise, in six months' time, I'll be someone my wife didn't marry and I didn't like, and I don't like and God didn't call me to be. Uh, that's hard. It's probably the hardest part of that ministry at all, but I think that's true of everybody. Um it's just the more capacity you get or the more the bigger the load, I think the more intentional you need to become.
1: Yeah. So good, mate. Mm. Amazing. That's awesome.
2: I'll say this. Any any young leader. So so just real quick, you mentioned it before like we've we've had another mega church pastor recently, uh, you know, just just walked through another hard moment. Like uh, most of us cried about it because we we love these guys. These guys inspire us. Mm. Um, My biggest advice to any young leader Mm. is to find a pastor who's made it to 80 (laughs) and read their books, listen to their podcasts, and make them the personalities that you follow.
1: Mm.
2: Um, I didn't know this, but um, Gordon McDonald, I didn't know that he had, he felt like he had a fall from grace when he was 40 years old. Um, and, like, had to get his marriage counselling and all this kind of stuff. Wow. Um, but he's been redeemed became a pastor again and, like, is now still walking with Jesus. He had, like, 80 or 90. Mm-hmm. Listen to Gordon McDonald. Go read the work of Henry Nouwen Go and pick up Eugene Peterson. These guys cool. who are unsexy, who are really Dallas Willard, like these guys who they're, they're not the ones that you're seeing on preachers and sneakers, but for good reason. Because I'm not saying it's wrong to be on preachers and sneakers, but I'm just like maybe the people that we watch on YouTube and we're addicted to their podcasts aren't the best models for us because they're probably still working it out like the rest of us. They're still halfway through the journey, and
0: you figure, and you think that's the benchmark. It's not the benchmark, you know. What does it look like to be faithful and called yeah. in a small community town for twenty years? You know what what do, what does faithfulness look like? Because you feel like you're failing if you're playing the numbers game. Yes, we should count people because people count. Yada yada. Yeah. But the reality is, is it like if you're not in, like, what do you say to someone? in, I don't know, underground yeah. whoop whoop who yeah. hasn't got 47,000 people to make a mega church in the small thriving metropolis of Keith yeah. in the southeast of South Australia. Right. Like, it's just, yeah. There's not that many people who live yeah. there. Is that, does that mean you're failing? Does that mean that you're any less anointed? Does that mean you're any less? I don't know, man. I've got to go pick up my kid.
1: We love you, mate. Thanks for your you time. You do. And I've got to go
2: do other stuff that sounds important, but it's not. No, I love you guys. So I, honestly, it's an honour to just even have a conversation with you both. And I know it's rare that we all get it. Just beautiful. And I would do it for another five hours if we at the top.
0: Well, it's always a great time when Mike Hans is in the room. Chuck him a follow on Insta and have a look at what New Life Gold Coast is up to. They're an incredibly beautiful, amazing church in one of the most beautiful places in Australia. Yeah. Incredible. Hey, one thing I um, it really stood out to me, and I don't know if you're a, a pastor, it's likely you're a fairly natural communicator, if you're a teaching pastor particularly, and Mike made the comment that it's easy to fool people into thinking you are competent if you are a gifted communicator because yes. if you've got the words and you've got the confidence um, it can be a fantastic front to hide the fact that there's not a lot going behind you. you're a shell of a human being we have
1: got an interview coming up that might highlight some of that yeah
0: yeah we've actually got an interview with Mike Guglamucci, um, who had a fairly epic fall from grace mm. about a decade ago yeah. and um, and he was gracious enough to sit down and tell us his story from top to tail and um, so we'd encourage you to listen to that. But we'd also encourage you if you're in ministry or leading team, serving as part of a team, just to be always um, in that hidden place with yes. God, letting what's behind and the unseen fuel what comes onto the platform. We all know the drug of you know, having a platform, having a microphone, having a bunch of people mm-hmm. who call you pastor. Affirmation. Yeah, Affirmation, Mike. You're so amazing. Mm-hmm. God's just got a real call and a gift on your oh, life. Katie, you know, I the I best the same to for come. you oh right Oh my now. gosh. You know, I just yeah. really just feel. You're a gifted communicator. Uh, you get you're it. But a anyway, child. Our, our hope and our prayer for you guys is that we will together be the real deal and give each other the space and the Amen. grace to journey this road yeah. in a raw, honest, and vulnerable way. So, yeah, so thanks, Mike Hands. You are a legend of the game. We love you to death and we'll see you guys next week for our interview with Dale and Edie Stevenson.
1: If you don't know Dale and Edie, they are absolute legends of the faith. They are, in, in, in many ways, a mother and father figure in the Baptist movement. that are so powerful in the way they speak across the church in Australia. Senior pastor of Crossway Church and in charge of the building a discipling culture movement that is really uh, beginning to build a backbone into much of the Australian church. You're going to love hearing from their decades of wisdom. They wouldn't love me saying that, but it's true. It's literally true. Decades of wisdom and leadership in the Australian Church. Um, As always, please like, subscribe, follow, do all the good things. Leave us a review on your favourite provider. It's it's always helpful. And follow us at ReadTheRemoles on Instagram. And we can't wait to catch you next time.